morning. We're glad you have joined us today as we get to open God's word. Would you just pray with me? Would you take a minute? God, we just come and we ask that you would meet with us. God, that you would, uh, God, you would just show up in our lives and it would be undeniable, God, that you have met with us. So God, we just want to come into this place asking for you to have your way. God, we, we want to put our will, our lives, our desires right at the foot of the cross. Knowing that just as we have sung this morning, God, that there is nothing that washes away our sins except for the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's in his mighty name we come and we ask for you to have your way in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if I haven't met you, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors around here, and we're just grateful that we get to open God's word together. We have been walking through this series, Overcome, and I am grateful uh, for how God is already at work, and I'm expecting no less, because God is a God who doesn't stop working on behalf of his people. He is gracious, and he is kind, and we get to follow after him for his glory. So who's ready for the word of God this morning? Yeah, I love it. Will you stand up with me as we dive into the word of God, Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. And then you know if I pause, that's your your cue to just fill in the word there. Uh, We're going to read Genesis 39, starting verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, and had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was... It's a huge thing we want to lean into this morning. The Lord was Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his... So, found favor in his sight, and intended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had... Keep going, keep going. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Way, way to track with me there. I appreciate you guys going, uh, going forward with me uh, in that. As we look at this story, I want to remind us of where we've been and kind of looking at the, the big picture of the scriptures, the big picture of what God has been doing all along. God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 that he would have a family that outnumbers the stars in the sky and the grains of sand. And then the unexpected son was born, right? Abram and Sarah were told they wouldn't have a son and then God showed up and gave them who? Isaac. Oh, we got to remember this. There's three people we're leaning into. Abraham and Jacob, the next one. Jacob is born and renamed Israel. And Jacob's son, Joseph, the favorite son, is now enslaved in Egypt. And the very next book that we find in the Bible is the book of Exodus, which tells the story of how God's promise is fulfilled to Abraham. We see God is showing up and he begins to answer what he said he would back in Genesis, that God's people, the offspring of Abraham, would begin to grow and expand and multiply. And we see this happening in the book of Exodus. And it's also where God rescues his people. It's where God shows up. And I want us to be reminded of this because it is such a crucial thing. That if there's no Egypt for the life of Joseph, there is no Exodus. 
If there's no Egypt, there is no Exodus. Meaning that if Joseph doesn't go through the hardships that he is about to and is currently in the middle of, we don't get the next story. This incredible story that God shows up and redeems his people out of all forms of slavery, showing up in miraculous ways. And I want us to be reminded of this as we know that Joseph was thrown into a pit, beaten by his brothers, lied to about his death, and that he's actually still alive to his father. All of this tragedy is God at work. And I know that may seem like a really hard thing for us to begin to wrap our minds around that. Why would God allow such hardships? Maybe God is at work in every high and every low situation, orchestrating something greater, something beyond our comprehension. That the life of Joseph walks this path where he is now in Egypt. And we have the luxury of knowing what comes next. Exodus. And what comes next? Jesus, the one who leads the greatest exodus for all of humanity. And so as we continue moving forward, I want us to just look at a few things uh, in this particular passage in Genesis 39. So the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. I told you the Lord was with Joseph, and which we're going to interact a little bit this morning to keep you awake, keep you diving into the word, because we have to understand that the Lord was with Joseph, this is a huge reality for us. The Lord was with. We serve a God who is with his people. We do not serve a God who is distant. We do not serve a God who doesn't show up. We serve a God who is with his people. And we see it loud and clear that The Lord was with Joseph, and he begins to work in his life. I want you to understand this morning that your God is with you. Whether you're in the situation that you want or the situation that you don't want, your God is with you. And I want to highlight a couple of things. We don't see Joseph complaining in the midst of his trial. It just simply says, it goes from, he was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and it says a man was bought him from the Ishmaelites, Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. What an incredible testimony for us to be reminded of whatever our circumstances are. That the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, working something out just like we will see there is no exodus without Egypt. The Lord was with him and he continues to work in him. It shows up over and over again throughout this passage. It shows up four times all through Genesis 39. This is the Lord was with. Can you say that about yourself? Are you reminded of that? Or have you fallen into the trap of the enemy to say, maybe God's forgotten you. Maybe God has left you and he's not with you. I want you to be reminded at this, this is who God is. We just celebrated it recently with the season of Christmas, that Jesus is our Emmanuel, our God who is with us, the God who shows up time and time and time again, that he is walking, what? With us. God is the God who is with us. So let me ask you this question. How does that reality If you understand that God is with you in every situation, in every high and every low, how does that change the situation that you are in right now? 
I mean, just think about that. If you're taking some notes, I would love you to think about that. If you know that God is with you in the hardest moments of your life, how does that change how you act, how you speak, how you respond? If it is in the best situation of your life, knowing that God is with you, how do you act? How do you respond? The Lord is with you. And we see a man whose life is radically different. So much so that the pagan Egyptian, the man who worships many gods and is a slave trader, he bought another human to do work in his house. This man, Potiphar, notices something different because Joseph Realize that the Lord was with him. Do you see that in the passage with me? It says, he became successful and he was in the house of his Egyptian master and his master saw that the Lord was with him. His master, Potiphar, this man who does not walk with the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord, the one who is and is to come, he recognizes something. It says he saw that the Lord was was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he, Joseph, did to succeed in his hands. What incredible testimony. Life is full of challenges, wouldn't you agree? Well, maybe not for you guys, but my life has had some challenges. We've all, we can say this, life is full of challenges. It's not what is the challenge that's in front of us. It's how we live in the midst of it, knowing that our God is with us as a bold declaration, a megaphone to the people around us that God is God. Let me ask you this question this morning. I want you to write this down. Is your life undeniable evidence that God is with you? Is your life undeniable evidence that God is with you? We see it in the life of Joseph. In the midst of being a slave, he works diligently and the Lord works in his situation I think we can kind of gloss over it. It says, he caused all he did to succeed. What we're going to find out over this continued story is that nothing seems to go right for Joseph. Yet we see a man who continues to live with and in the presence of God. When you live in the presence of God, your life will be undeniable evidence. And so friends, this morning... We have this opportunity to lean in and to seek the presence of God, to seek him through his word, to seek him in the community, to seek him through prayer with one another, and to live in such a way that it is undeniable that God is God through the way that you live. And what I love in this passage is it has little to do with what he has said. It is simply seen in how he lived. Is your life undeniable evidence that God is with you? And that just lays the foundation for what we're about to get into in this next part. Do you remember last week how Pastor Joel was talking about the slow creep? And that the reality is a lot of us want to be like Joseph. We want to be the guy who's blameless, that things go well. Maybe you want to have a coat of many colors and be the favored child. But the reality is this. 
We are more like Joseph's brothers than we are Joseph. We are more like the people who fell in the scriptures than we are the ones that we see succeeding, the ones that the the heroes of the Bible. We have to be reminded of that, that we are like the people of Israel. We are difficult sometimes. We are stiff-necked people is how the book would talk about it, that we are people who often make mistakes and instead of walking in the path of righteousness that God has set out for us, we are the ones that take a hard left and go a different direction than what God has been saying for us. And that's a sobering reminder. It's been one of the greatest things that I've been learning through this passage is, man, Luke... You think a little much of yourself. You think you're doing good, but you have to be reminded that it's the slow creep. It's the thoughts inside our heads that take root in our heart that then begin to live out in our actions. And so as we look at this next part, can we ask and be honest with ourselves to say, God, where is there a way that is other than how you want me to live as we look at this next piece? I don't want us to walk through this next part of the passage and say, no, nah, that's, not, that's not me. That's, I, I'm not like that. I'm more like Joseph. Let's have an honest evaluation of our hearts and our minds and say, Holy Spirit, again, Ephesians, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, would you do a work in my heart between the soul and the spirit? Would your word be a double-edged sword to help me realize there are things in me There are things in me that are not of you, and I'm asking God that your word would do a work and remove that from me so that I can walk in your presence, that I can live fully alive with you, God. And so as we're reminded of that, we walk into this next passage, picking up in verse 7. You follow along with me in your Bible. It says, Now Joseph was handsome and formed appearance in the back half of 6. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her and to be with her. We see in this passage that Joseph lives a steady and faithful life. These are the traits of a child of God. That even in the midst of temptation, even in the midst of it, he holds the line. He says, I will not do this. Look with me in verse 9. He says this. He says, he's not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me. In the back half of that verse, it says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Because Joseph lived in the presence of God and with him, he realized that his actions had consequences, ripple effects into the lives of people around him. But ultimately, his sins, if he were to sin, is not as much against Potiphar as it is against God himself. When we sin against others, we got to understand that we sin against God. And when we sin against others, we're ultimately sinning against God. In fact, Jesus said this in the New Testament. He says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. That our actions, again, are the proof. Are you, is it undeniable that God is with you? 
And the same is true, the opposite. The way we live and our actions and the things that we do can be evidence that God is not with us. Because ultimately, everything we do is to the praise of, and the glory of God or it's to ourselves, the praise and the glory of our own desires and our own wants. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to be reminded that when we sin against others, we sin against God. And so are you resolved in the convictions, that deep underlying conviction of God, that I will not sin against the people around me because ultimately I know it affects my relationship with God. Ultimately, I know that if I were to fall to temptation, it would sin against my creator, the one who has made me, the one who is at work in my life, the one who is saving me and redeeming me. Do we understand the gravity of our actions and our decisions? And I want us to really lean into this next part and ask this question. Are you a stumbling block? Are you a stumbling block? And hopefully most of us, we would say, no, I don't think, I don't think I'm a stumbling block. I, I like to do good. I like to help people around us. But what we see in this passage is a woman who becomes a massive stumbling block. It said in verse 7 that after a time, the thoughts of this woman's life began to impact her heart. And t- after a time of thinking on these things, it moved to an action where she called out to Joseph and she said, come lie with me. She is walking a path of seeking an adulterous relationship with someone else other than her husband. And it is a stumbling block for Joseph that is just right there in front of him. And again, remember, we're more like Joseph's brother. We're probably more like Potiphar's wife in our lives. And I'm not saying that this, I want us to, yes, it's talking about a sexual temptation. But let's think about temptations as a whole. Things that are not the way we should live. Things that would cause other people to stumble in their relationship with God. Things that we know are pursuing our own selfish desires and our own wants and our own needs that we put before other people. Are there things like that in your life? Are you a stumbling block? We see this slow creep at play. And I want you to hear some very strong words from the life of Jesus. In Matthew 18, I want you to write this down. It's not going to be on the screen. But Matthew 18, verses 7 through 9. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations should come. Why? Because we live in a sinful, broken, fallen world. And it is a way of testing our faith and our pursuit of God. And are we willing to live with and in the presence of God? Are we going to choose our own way? But he says, woe to you. Woe to the world for temptations. For it's necessary that they come. But woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better for you to enter life, everlasting, eternal life, crippled or lame, than the two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. It says in verse 9, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. And these are strong words. When we really think about it, I also am reminded in the gospel of Mark, the same passage is echoed. And he says, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into a deep lake than to cause one of these children, least of these innocent people, if you will, 
It's better for this horrible thing to happen to you than to cause one of these to stumble. And when we think about it, is this not the reality of our world and our lives? Where at the end of the day, people are putting their desires, their wants, their thing as primary. And in doing so, we can create stumbling blocks in the lives of the people around us. So are you a stumbling block? Is there something in your life that keeps you from walking in the freedom that you're actually meant to have in Jesus Christ because you are pursuing your desires? Then I want us to hear today that sin is a serious thing. Romans 6.23 is abundantly clear that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. It is a massive deal for us to understand that we are to overcome temptation, yes, like Joseph. And part of that means us as broken, fallen people who are pursuing the Lord and asking Him to change us. It's to do an inventory. Where are there things in my life that I may be putting a stumbling block right in front of someone else? God, would you forgive me? And I'm going to do everything in my power to take that stumbling block down. I'm going to remove it. Is there someone or is there something that is happening in your life where you need to remove the stumbling block? It starts with you pursuing Jesus. It starts with you pursuing the freedom and the grace that he has for you. It's his kindness that is leading us to repentance. And we have to take that first step. So instead of the slow creep pursuing our, letting our mind's desires take root in our heart and putting them into practice in ways that are evil and that are against God, are we taking one small step that's closer to him, seeking him, asking for his forgiveness, removing the things, making amends where you need to make amends? Because it gets worse in this story. It says in verse 11, but one day he went into the house to do his work, Joseph, and the men of the house, no one was there. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. So notice this constant pursuit. Like this is not something that has just happened once and then it's done. There is this constant pursuit of Potiphar's wife. And there's this constant know that Joseph is having to walk in an integrity and having to constantly like, I will not do this. I will overcome by living in the presence of God, knowing that God is with me and he is at work and I will not sin against my master. I will not sin against my God. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called out to the men of the house, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. She begins to lie about what happens She begins to tell stories of how Joseph approached her and he is left without his garment again. He's left without his garment again and it goes on further in this passage. She eventually tells her husband and her husband throws Joseph in jail for what he didn't do. And you've heard this time and time again from Pastor Joel that there are a lot of similarities between the life and the story of Joseph and what we see in Jesus. Jesus was accused and he was wrongfully tried and he was beaten and he eventually walked towards a capital punishment death for something he did not do. And we see this in the life of Joseph, that he overcomes by living in the presence of God. And we see it in verse 21, we said, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor, even while he was in prison. 
And so I want us to lean in for a moment. I want us to lean in for a moment and asking this question. Man, there are so many different stories that are here in this room. There's so many different stories as people engage and worship with us online and at our different campuses. And for some of us, we are in the midst of temptation in front of us like Joseph. And for others of us, there are things that we are doing where we are putting temptations and stumbling blocks in front of other people. I want us to hear something today. I want us to hear something today because I find it very interesting in the life of Joseph. In both instances, in 37 and now in 39, he loses his garment. All right? He lost his coat of what? Many colors, right? His brothers took it and they dipped it in the blood and they took it back to their father saying, Oh, I'm sorry, Dad, he's dead. With no guilt or remorse and began to eat a meal. And then here in this moment, another person chooses their desires over the well-being of another person. He loses his garment again. No matter where you are, if you are having to hold the line and not give in to temptation, or you know that you have actively wronged someone else, I want you to hear something. That you are not defined by what has happened to you. You are defined by God. The same grace and love that God has for Joseph is the same grace and love that he has for Potiphar's wife. They choose to live differently. And I want us to hear loud and clear from the scriptures that it doesn't matter what the garment is that you wrap around your life. For Potiphar's wife, she thought she was someone of importance and prestige because she was a wife of the officer of Pharaoh's court. Joseph was a lowly servant that he was a favored son at one point and now is a lowly servant and he is losing his garment, his identity. What we have to understand is that you're not defined by the circumstances and the things that you think make your life what they are. You are defined by God. Who are you this morning? Do you recognize that you are a child of God created in his image to reflect his goodness to the world around you? Do you realize whether in the highs or in the lows that you are to reflect the goodness and the glory of God? That you are to live a life with God? It has nothing about the stuff that you would say makes your identity what it is. At the end of the day, it is something deeper than that. It is a character thing. It is a reality at the core of who you are that I know that I want to live with God. And I will walk with God and I will live in his presence. Because overcoming temptation is not something that happens in a moment. Giving in to temptation is not something that just happens in a moment. Overcoming temptation, it happens when we live a life with God. Deep convictions, rooted identity in whose we are. Not the stuff, not the garments that would wrap up and say this person is this status or this idea. It is 
reality. I am found in Christ and in Christ alone. My cornerstone, the anchor of my life, the hope of everything that I've got going on is found in Jesus Christ alone. So wherever you are today, whatever's happening in your life, I want to ask you this. Whether Joseph or like Potiphar's wife, are you living with God who says, I'm with you. I'm with you. What we know about temptation, we saw it in Matthew 18. Jesus says, man, temptations are going to come. Struggles are going to come. We are prone to wander, prone to make mistakes, prone to leave the God who says he's with us, the God that we are supposed to love, as the old hymn would say. I want you to hear something today. It is possible for you to live in freedom and to overcome temptation. Well, how, how do you know that, Luke? How is that even possible for me? You don't understand the story. You don't understand what's happened to me. You don't understand what I've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, he faced temptations, temptations of the flesh. Hey, the devil tempted him and says, well, why don't you just tell those stones to turn to bread? And he says, don't you understand Man will not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. Oh, Jesus, you, you have the authority to protect your life and your body. Throw yourself down and call on the angels to save you. And again, Jesus rebukes Satan with scripture. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he tempts him again with power and prestige, something of the mind, a fleeting idea. I'll put you in charge of the world. And Jesus says, don't you understand, Satan? Don't you understand? And he flees temptation because he uses the word over and over and over again. You will face temptation. You will face struggles. You will face trials. Woe if it comes through you, the scripture tells us. But I want you to hear that the word became flesh, John 1 reminds us. The Word became flesh and dwells among us. The Word became flesh and dwells with you in me. Jesus, the very Word of God, shows up in human form. And he says, I'm going to make a way. If there was no Egypt, there is no Exodus. And if there's no Exodus, we don't get to Jesus. And Jesus says, I am making a way for my people. And I will be, what? With them. This is the story of all of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. A God who wants to be with his people. You can overcome temptation when you walk with Jesus. When you live with Jesus. So much so that in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see it echoed again. Another temptation for Jesus. If there's any other way, God, let this cup pass. But Jesus tells us, this is not my will, but your will, Father, your will, Heavenly Father, come to pass. And Jesus endures the cross for our sins, our mistakes, for our wages of sin. Jesus bears them on the cross for you and for me. How can you overcome temptation? Live with and in the presence of God. And that's the simple invitation for you this morning. Will you live in the presence of God with Him? 
knowing that no matter the circumstances, when you are living with God, your life will be undeniable evidence that God is alive and he is a miracle-working God. So I want to invite you, let let the word, let the word do a work in your life today. As we respond to the gospel, let it do a work in you. This is your space to meet with God, asking him to continue to transform you, to seek forgiveness. If you want to know what it means to take that first step to walk with God, I want to invite you to go to the prayer room. Some folks at the Green Lane would love to chat with you because that's where it starts, my friends, knowing that Jesus has made a way for you to walk with God. So God, would you have your way? We simply cling to you, Jesus, in this moment, knowing that you are a God who is at work, a God who will not leave us, a God who will not forsake us. God, we are asking for you to have your way, King Jesus. We love you and we need you. May our hearts respond with all that they are to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.